the Weekly Hue Demon. Full steam ahead. All right. Hey, if you're checking out the written version of this podcast, or rather this podcast is a verbal version of the essay, but if you're checking out the written portion, I'm trying something new this week. I'm trying to summarize the entire essay, which is about 1,200 words, into a series of subtitles. So each subtitle is meant to capture the next section. So if you're into the speed reading crap, um, <laughs> you can go to the essay, read the subsection headings in 35 seconds, and move on if you so choose. Anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. And by the way, if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter on Saturday, you're missing out on some fun stuff. Well, maybe not, but just go to thedailydemon.com, hit subscribe, it's free. I don't even upsell anything. Just I'm recording and putting some fun stuff out there on Saturdays for your lighthearted celebration of life. Anyway, Time Magazine ran a peculiar feature in 1953. It used a five-page analysis of Eric Vogelin's The New Science of Politics to celebrate the magazine's 30th anniversary. Stating that Eric Vogelin had made a significant breakthrough in political theory by, among other things, showing that modern totalitarian ideologies are the equivalent of the ancient Christian heresy of Gnosticism. So what is this Gnosticism thing? Well, for starters, let's admit that it's probably not the greatest term. Vogelin later in life regretted using it. It's too broad. It has, multi, it has manifested itself in different ways throughout history, resulting in a conflation of historical facts and intellectual concepts that don't always mesh well. But we're kind of stuck with it, and there's no better term. <laughs> so... I'd say Gnosticism, in its most encyclopedic definition, refers to an early Christian heresy that celebrated knowledge over faith. The Gnostics claimed to have special knowledge, Gnosis, from Jesus Christ or other sources that gave them privileged insight into the means of salvation. The special knowledge was normally knowledge about how to escape earth. The ancient Gnostics taught that this world is made by an evil god, a demurge. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. D-E-M-I-U-R-G-E. Anyway, created by an evil god, and that it's necessary to escape it. This, the means of escape? The special knowledge taught by the Gnostic leaders. That's the primary two-part thing. Thing, excuse me, that is the primary two-part thing you need to understand about ancient Gnosticism. It rejected earthly reality, either asserting that it's evil or that's all an illusion meant to trap us here, and that Gnosticism said it had the special knowledge to overcome it. All right, it's hard to say when Gnosticism first appeared but it probably or possibly appeared as early as the rise of the first ecumenical empires, such as the Persians, um, the ones that the Greeks beat up Barathon in 490. And when I say ecumenical empire, I'm talking about broad empire, you know, bursting well beyond its original, you know, territorial bounds and bringing in multiple different peoples. Think of the Babylonian exile um, in 589 that took uh, 
demolished, when the Babylonians demolished the kingdom of Judah and took uh, a large portion of the population, took into Babylonia, the Babylonian exile of the Jews. But anyway, these ecumenical empires started or resulted in mass migrations. They forced insular communities to coexist with quote-unquote weird people, people unlike themselves. The messiness went steroidal, <laughs> you know, got huge, with the empire established by Alexander the Great from Europe to India. That empire was divided among his four generals at his death after a short civil war. These empires in turn fell to ever new massive empires, primarily the Roman Empire. These huge movements disrupted local life. City-states collapsed. No longer was your world just your city and agricultural land surrounding it. Your world was now, well, the whole world. The world came to your, your doorstep, or you were taken to its doorstep. Huge enslavements, huge enslavements, excuse me, huge population shifts, cultures collided, either through migrations or through trade. There was a loss of cohesion, emotional, cognitive, intellectual. There was a general loss of meaning. Local institutions, regional civilizations, and ethnic identities snapped apart. Well, people can't live without meaning. So there was, at this time, new attempts to structure meaning out of this new reality. Stoicism was one of the biggest responses, responses to this crisis of meaning. So were the mystery cults and various ap apocalyptic movements within Judaism and Manichaeism. And into this milieu stepped Christianity. And so did a ramped-up Gnosticism, fueled by that strange persona, Jesus Christ, and his fervid early disciples. Gnosticism was immediately at war with Christianity, appearing in the Book of Acts in the person of Simon Magus, who sought to purchase the Holy Spirit from the Apostles. Alright, here's what you need to understand. Christianity is a hard religion. Not only is it paradoxical to the core, the God-man, the mortal, immortal, one must, one must lay down his life to save it, the virgin birth, etc. But it is also highly quote-unquote differentiated, meaning that it separates earth and heaven, making the spheres separate, though also connected in some fashion, traditionally through the sacraments. Hence the, quote, sacramental view of creation, unquote, that underlies all Catholic thought. The full drama and problem that Christianity presented to the world was vibrantly painted by Vogelin in The New Science of Politics. And this is a lengthy quote. Just going to read it the best I can. <laughs> if you ever listen to Bill Burr, he has a hard time reading. I'm better than Burr, but not much. Anyway, here is uh, Vogelin's quote. Uncertainty is the very essence of Christianity. And again, I'm going to repeat that. Un uncertainty is the very essence of Christianity. The feeling of security in a world full of gods is lost with the gods themselves. When the world is de-divinized, communication with the world transcendent God is reduced to the tenuous bond of faith in the sense of Hebrews 11.1 1, as the substance of all things hoped for, and the proof of things unseen. The bond is tenuous, indeed, and it may snap easily. The more people are drawn or pressured into the Christian orbit, the greater will be the number among them who do not have the spiritual stamina 
for the heroic adventure of the soul that is Christianity. And the likeliness of a fall from faith will increase when civilizational progress of education, literacy, and intellectual debate will bring the full seriousness of Christianity to the understanding of other, more individuals. That passage, quite frankly, is crucial to understand the modern world. Go on the website, read it a hundred times. <laughs> but you'll see what happened with our modern civilization. As people became more educated, started learning more, they're just like, oh, well, now I really have to jump into Christianity. And they, many of them just didn't, couldn't make the, the jump. Because Christianity is, quote-unquote, uncertain. It takes spiritual stamina. A lot of people simply can't take it. I mean, let's face it. To be a serious Christian, you need to be a saint, a scholar, or a simple peasant woman in the pews with a rosary. You need to be, one, infused with love of Christ, the saint, or two, intelligent and willing to undertake the serious study necessary to plumb the history, philosophy, and theology of Christian thought, the, the scholar, or three, content merely to rely on faith and authority, like the peasant woman. Or perhaps be a complete or an incomplete mishmash of all three. And I think that's where most people are. I mean, I really just, it's, I don't, I don't consider myself any of those three things, but I am a Christian. Um, I hope to become a saint someday, but gosh, I'm so freaking far away. It's not, <laughs> not even funny. But I do study a lot, and quite frankly, I do occasionally like to say the rosary. I I kind of go in spurts, kind of like I do with Steely Dan, <laughs> as uh, another other uh, forms of art. But yeah, I'm, I'm like a mishmash, and I think most of us are, most of us Christians or Catholics. Anyway, it's a tough religion, and if a person doesn't have the spiritual stamina and can't accept the uncertainty, you know, the mysticism, the paradox those things that lie at the core of Christianity, he or she will seek certainty, even if it means he or she must substitute a flawed reality for the real one. By the way, if you're really astute, go back and listen to the Descartes podcast where people substituted a really stupid conclusion because they want a certainty. This all ties together. Anyway, that's going back to ancient Gnosticism. That's what, that's what it did. It substituted a flawed reality for the real one. It said earthly reality doesn't exist, either because it's merely an illusion or because it's an evil prison that keeps us from reaching the heavens. Instead of a vision of existence that includes the legitimacy of the world, it said full existence is strictly transcendent. In other words, because it refused to accept the earth's limitations, it devised a new quote-unquote reality that eliminated the earth. In order to enter that new reality, Gnosticism told its followers that they needed special knowledge and had to, to absorb that knowledge. So in order to be an ancient Gnostic, a person had to remake his intellectual core, his cognitive universe, and accept the fundamentally flawed view of reality, of existence, taught by the Gnostic master. This gave the ancient Gnostic the quote-unquote cognitive master of reality that he craved. Indeed, that the Gnostic demanded and devised and developed for himself. He then taught this cognitive mastery to others. If others believed it too, then it, then it attained heightened legitimacy. It didn't matter if the ancient Gnostic master's fundamental premise 
that the earth doesn't exist or is evil contradicted common sense and basic human experience. If a person wanted to get rid of the uncertainty ushered in by the great upheavals of the ecumenic empires, and he couldn't accept the sacramental and mystic uncertainty found in the new Christianity, Gnosticism was a key to salvation. And if others disputed this odd version of reality, you know, the earth doesn't even exist or it's just uh, an illusion meant to trap us here, well, the Gnostic didn't care. To the Gnostic, anyone who disagreed with his weird version of reality was simply ignorant and hopelessly beyond rational discourse. Such people, said the Gnostic, were trapped in a world devised by the evil Demurge and lived in an illusion. The only people the Gnostic could speak with were people who accepted his weird version of reality. Everyone else? They were simply the ignorant, the sleepwalkers, the sheep. The Gnostic couldn't talk to them. And none of them could talk to the Gnostic. The Gnostic stood beyond criticism. All very significant. We'll be tying it all together as the months go on. As always, thanks for listening.